0: Welcome to Newsworthy with Norisworthy. Get ready for some awesome! All right, friends, welcome back to the show. It's time for the November wrap-up. Wonderful! I'm here. I'm here, Luke. You're Jonathan. Is that you? Oh, hey! It sounds a... wait. It sounds like a Jonathan who's actually got educated and now has the word. Let's get ready here.
1: for some awesome!
0: There it is. You know who that is. It's actually not who you think it is. This is Dr. Chris Gonzalez. Many know him as the person who was on last month because he's Mr. Lipscomb University Marriage and Family Therapy Program.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm the program director, and Mm -hmm. I actually have a new addition to my title, and it is uh, New Assistant to the Podcast.
0: I mean, it seems like you're, like, it's a good fit for you. I think you got this.
1: I it's think easy, it's easy. I, I think I'm at least as good as any of your previous assistants. I I,
0: I think you're right at the top of it. And I think yeah. you know why? Because you have all that education experience of being a world changer because you're a marriage and family therapy like, like yes. person. I
1: you're got therapist. a PhD so I could be your assistant. Hey,
0: that's, <laughs> that's 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 a lot of years in school that are finally paying off, so that's congratulations right. on that. Yeah. Thank now, it you. Sounds like we've, we've, I've heard that uh you've told me that you've had a bunch of applications come in over the last two months while you've been running an ad on this podcast and Ian Cron's podcast. And so yes. that's very, very encouraging, encouraging to me because like, I, I love what you guys are doing. And so when you think of like these people who end up coming into the program, like, where are most of these students coming from?
1: Okay, so coming to the Marriage and Family Therapy Program at Lipscomb, uh, of course we, we have a regional draw, so we get a lot of people from Tennessee... Mm-hmm. But we have a national draw uh, and people come from all over the place. We've had well, let me see if you can do this. Besides Tennessee, what do you think the number one state is where we get students from Texas, Texas. Close but no California really, really? We get right, well, we get a lot of people coming from California. We've got three students right now who just started the program uh, with California ties, California roots. And so, people from out west moving out to the southeast apparently is a thing, and they're great students. So, we get students from California. We get students from Texas. We get students uh, from uh, Ohio, Nebraska, Pennsylvania, uh, just from all over the place. Florida. They come in from all over the country.
0: Because they obviously like Nashville's a great city, and you're uh, an accredited program Two years you can get your degree and it's a great program. Who so they're coming from all over, but but who are these who are these people
1: though? Yeah, these so we get a variety of, of uh students into our master's program. Uh of course we get uh a good bunch of brand new graduates from undergrad and they mm-hmm. just go straight in. And uh but that's that's maybe I don't know, a third or a little more than a third of our students. We get quite a bit of students who are what I call career shifters and mm-hmm. and what I mean is they've had a good uh, productive career in in engineering in finance in music in uh, in we've had several writers come through and so they've had careers but they have made a decision kind of mid midpoint in their life that they want to do something that really helps people in a way different than they've been helping people up until that point and it's they come in with a deep passion some of them are a little nervous because they like well oh, we haven't been in school in a while uh, but they do fantastic the experience they bring with them is great
0: so if if you've got a if you're a person who's thinking i want to make a difference i want to make a career change i want to help people yeah no matter where you come from, Lipscomb's a place to go. Once you get the degree, what do most of your students end up doing?
1: So, uh, obviously, they—they uh, a large portion of them go on to become marriage and family therapists. They pursue a license and so forth. But we have had some students do some amazing things after graduation. Um, we've had several students open their own practices. Um, we've had students found... They're like the founders of uh, Pathways Counseling Center down in Murfreesboro, where it's not just their own private practice. They're now hiring our more recent graduates. We have wow. students go to top-notch PhD programs such as Michigan State, uh, Georgia, Kansas State. These are some of the top programs for marriage and family therapy, and they want our graduates. So we we have. We have we have uh, published authors who have graduated from our program. They just they come out and they do. They're equipped to do amazing things.
0: Well, I think that's it. If if you are someone who wants to do amazing things, marriage and family therapy program, Lipscomb University, Chris Gonzalez will take good care of you. He'll tell you everything you need to know. Uh, obviously, we've got a link to your website uh, in the show notes as always, and there's a phone number you can call that we've been talking about all month.
1: Do you remember that number off the top of your head? <sighs> Uh, let's do uh, 615-966-5300. Let's do that for the phone number. There you go. You got ways to contact you.
0: Uh, Chris, I'm honored to endorse your school. Thanks for letting us do that these last two months. And, uh, okay, we're now going to kick it to the assistant of the assistant of the podcast. <laughs> Junior assistant. The junior assistant. Excellent.
1: Luke, thank you very much. Uh, uh, I'm going to try to find a way for us to talk again.
0: (laughs) All right, friends. Welcome back to the show. Get ready for some awesome. Do you ever feel like you're overselling that? Like that you're... I do. Yes, often. That you're bringing the awesome? No. I I feel uh, like... (laughs) I, I feel like I feel because awesome. you localized you localize the awesome because it was like a general awesome, but when you double down, it's like you're saying this second channel of the podcast, this track will be the source of the awesome. Do you uh, feel like you live up to that?
2: I feel like I carry my own water. Yeah, the problem is, generally speaking, you know, maybe that's what I'm saying. Like, th- you know, it's wrap up time. I know you've tuned out for the rest of the month, but we'll give you kind of the.
0: The, this is the redemption of the, the podcast the, month. Re, the this is redemption of the podcast. You're saying what Parker Palmer couldn't deliver, what Todd Deathridge couldn't deliver, what I couldn't deliver, you will be the one to usher that in. You're the messianic figure for the podcast.
2: <laughs> Keep it a secret.
0: Okay. <laughs> some that's a Bible bi- joke right there. Some deep that's, Bible major nerd humor. <laughs> that's a Bible joke right there. Well, Jonathan... How was your Thanksgiving? How was your first Thanksgiving living back in Arkansas? We went to Texas. <laughs> if you, if Actually, you want an Arkansian to have gratitude, take him to Texas. i would tell you, I went straight to Whataburger. Did There's you?
2: nothing quite like a fast from Texas that makes you think, why is Whataburger not everywhere?
0: Is that your main like go-to meal in Texas that you miss?
2: You know, uh, well... Yeah, I, well, you didn't eat there a ton, but when you can't eat there, you think about it often.
0: I had, I was on a, another podcast, and they were at, like, "What's your favorite uh, fast food restaurant? Do you like Waterburger? Because you're a Texan." I was like, "Honestly, I've, I had onion rings from Waterburger once, and that was the only time I've had Waterburger probably in the last ten years." What? Yeah, I just don't. I just, I, I feel like I'm a bad Texan. You are know. a bad I'm, Texan. That's whatever. My bad. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. I don't get it all political with my fast food. And just because you're <laughs> trying to say something about who you think should be the senator, and I'm I'm just trying to wait. Enjoy what my does
2: Whataburger have to do with the senator?
0: Didn't you see his like his his lo- slogan? Like even the oh, the graphic oh, right. is the Waterburger graphic. So yeah.
2: whatever. Oh, well, I forgot
0: about that. But. Here's one of the things I like to do. I like to keep politics out of my preaching. And I don't want it to be partisan, specifically. And so I try to steer clear of that with my preaching, because I want to make room for people on the left and the right And what I do. I guess you don't really care about that.
2: Yeah, no, that's exactly where I was trying to head with my discussion of Whataburger.
0: Should I do my political endorsements now, the list? Well, I I feel like you already did. I feel like that (laughs) was—you don't like Ted Cruz, is what you're saying. I got it. Okay, uh, so you went back to Texas for Thanksgiving— W- uh, we so how, all,
2: all seven of us, you know, we have five kids. All seven of us stayed in my mother-in-law's house in one bedroom. Mm. Like people were sleeping on top of other people. It was no, it was uh, <laughs> it was a good Thanksgiving. I'm now nothing. thankful to be back at my house.
0: Yeah, that's a good practice to make you be appreciative of your house. It is. You know, you know, we did My sister-in-law was due to have a baby on Friday. And so we decided to bump up the Thanksgiving meal till Tuesday, and then she still has not baby so far. And uh, huh. she's, gonna get, she's going to the hospital tonight, so the that's... The
2: ingratitude to some people, huh?
0: I know, it's very selfish, <laughs> but... So I just, like, stayed at home and raked the leaves and watched football. It was, outside, it was, like, so chill you and relaxing. You watched football by yourself? No, my daughters were there, but...
2: What, hey, what'd you do with uh, Colt McCoy playing against the Cowboys on Thanksgiving? Was that challenging for you?
0: No, not at all. Because I know that often in our greatest defeats we're most formed in the image of Christ, and so I was just praying for his spiritual formation.
2: Oh, so you didn't root for him a, a little bit?
0: No, there was literally z- zero sympathy for Colt. I don't know why. I was like, oh, I wish it would have been a fumble, not an interception that we couldn't blame on Colt. Like I wanted him to do well, but yeah. not. I rooted I, for like, him. I rooted did for you?
2: him. I, yeah, I'm a Cowboys fan, but I was rooting for
0: him. You know, well, I, that's because used to work with his mom. I yeah, mean, I'm. Right. I, like, I know, his, I, like, I like his family and all that, but I've... But not enough to... No, not enough. ...switch
2: allegiances even briefly. No, I get it.
0: <laughs> no, I mean, I felt like I should send a text to the family and say, hey, I'm sorry, but it's, like, I'm not Full gonna... Full
2: disclosure, in college, I would never have rooted for him when they were playing the Razorbacks. I mean... Okay, so don't come at me with that junk, then. I, I wasn't coming at you with any junk. junk. No. Oh, listen, when I was in Canada, I was preaching, uh, hold on, first off, Shalom, Welcome back to the States. (laughs) Um, I was in Canada while you were in Israel at a a nice negative 20 degrees. And I was at this church preaching, doing Christians Make the Best Atheist stuff. And this guy comes up to me who says, you should tell Luke to stop being so mean to you. (laughs) And and, and I laugh like that. And he goes, but seriously... He's, he's a little too mean. There's times where oh. I think he's over the edge. And I was like, I, I feel the same way. It, mm-hmm. it kind of broke into a little therapy Okay, moment. but
0: that doesn't mean anything. He's Canadian. <laughs> like, not telling you, oh, you're the best thing <laughs> in the world, eh? Like, that's considered over the line for a Canadian. That's, like, you don't do that. Like, Canadians, you bring a lot to the world, but drawing the line about what's not nice, that's not your job. That's not what you do. Sorry, buddy. The, it was uh... Hockey, you got that.
2: <laughs> and Malcolm Gladwell they gave us maple syrup you got that
0: yeah Yeah. justin bieber
2: yeah (laughs) all those things (laughs) the the, one of the elders at the church that i preached at
0: is a socialist um like an outspoken socialist isn't that like synonymous you said they're canadians isn't that everyone Uh,
2: apparently he says that our our super left like bernie sanders is too conservative for canada isn't that interesting
0: when you walked in, did everyone just like, hey, is anyone sick? We're going to pass out Band-Aids. We've got government <laughs> rations of them. We're going to just share it all. No, no
2: that's it. I like how bleak <laughs> you immediately go. You're you're a capitalist through and through,
0: aren't you? Uh, we, we've got 14 Band-Aids allocated for our congregation to last us through the year. <laughs> Oh, that's great. Uh, how long were you in Canada?
2: Uh, I was in there for three days in mm-hmm. uh, Saskatoon, which is kind of where Lynn Anderson's from. So
0: okay. That was kind
2: of cool. I, 30 minutes in, I got a text saying I'd already used $50 worth of data, so <laughs> I turned off my phone.
0: And Yeah, you got to switch that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you got to switch that up. How long were you uh, in Israel? I think it was 11 days. Yeah, 11 days. And... It was an amazing trip. It was absolutely, uh, like, overwhelming. People always say, hey, did you have fun? Did you have fun in uh, Israel? I'm like, well, yeah, when the majority like that, of what huh? you're doing is, like, yeah. Yad Vashem and talking to people whose kids have died. I mean, like, it's not <clears throat> yeah. fun, but it was a very moving and impactful trip. Everything that I could have hoped it to be, it was that. Yeah. And ha- y- you've been over there, right?
2: Yeah, I have. Uh, I went over. Do we need to do sponsor stuff?
0: I'll cut that in the beginning.
2: Okay, yeah, I went. I went to um, the. I went to Israel with Everett Hufford, who was mm-hmm. a missionary in Nazareth, which is on the Palestine side yep. of Israel, and um, had a Palestinian tour guide. So, mm-hmm. I mean, because he's just really intentional of in the stuff y'all were talking about, like um, the way you go to the Holy Lands impacts the kind of experience you. It's, it can be Disneyland for Bible people. You know yeah. some something that's close to real but not quite and um
0: the i i yeah I want to be clear I think that there is definitely a place for the Jesus sightseeing tour like that like I think that is meaningful and it's important, and what I liked about Telos is that that was part of the trip in some ways it was the like the rest day was let's go to the Sea of Galilee and you know we've we've done some heavy stuff, so let's go look at the church of the resurrection or let's go see um Go to Bethlehem or something like that. And so it was really nice to be able to do that. Any surprises
2: about going to see those things?
0: Your comparison to Disney is fitting because I really hate, like, long lines and a bunch of people, like, being packed together. And so I'm naturally not predisposed to really enjoying that sort of, like, being... Crowded by people all the time, yeah. Uh, but it was neat to see the reverence that a lot of people had for like the the Church of the Resurrection and the, the rock that it's built on. Um, I, one of the things I was not prepared for was how moving being at the Wailing Wall on uh, Shabbat would be. Like that was that was an amazing experience. Yeah. Have
2: you, did you get to do that? Mm-hmm. I, I was actually there on Pentecost, hmm. um, which is you know celebrated by both Jews and Christians. Mm -hmm. And, um, it was, it was, uh, the, the Shabbat, I was at the Wailing Wall on Pentecost on Shabbat. Um, super, yeah, super cool. Mm -hmm. Um, my, okay, so here's what I thought when listening to your kind of experiences. Um, so Leslie's stepdad, my wife's stepdad growing up was a Palestinian Muslim. And his name's Hisham. He's amazing. Uh, he is largely responsible for her um, kind of being a good moral human being before she mm-hmm. became a Christian when she was 18. Um, just super, super wonderful. I'm very grateful for Hisham in my life. But he grew up throwing rocks across that wall to at the Israeli soldiers. So, you know, when y'all were imagining what it was like to be a 10-year-old boy and what those kind of yeah. – uh, he he
0: knows. I mean, he – he If he would have been caught for that, he would be classified as a terrorist today.
2: Yeah, that's right.
0: You you throw rocks, you're classified as a terrorist, which was I, – because I spent time mm-hmm. with people who were terrorists because they did the exact same thing.
2: As a little boy. Yeah. You'd be a terrorist as a little boy?
0: Yeah, I mean, that's and, – and that's the world you grow up in. And like, all of a sudden, this is the, the – the, the mold that you're poured into at a young age, this is what you know to be, and then all of a sudden your world in some ways is determined like this is the track that you're on. And mm-hmm. that's heartbreaking. It's also heartbreaking for for Jewish people. Like the perspective is y- you have these refugee camps and it's been 60 years. Yeah. And at some point, like there are wars in this country, or excuse me, in this world, and some people win, some people lose, and you got to move on from it. And yeah. we, you can't keep fighting a war that's six, de- six decades old, old. And so that's this whole, like the idea of peacemaking is you have to hold these two truths in tension that you grew up in a world where you're a 10 year old boy who throws a rock because I threw rocks at cows when I was 10 you're because bo- boys do stupid stuff because my neighbors had cows when I lived in Ohio. And so I did that. I could easily have seen myself throwing that at a human being. If I was in that, that situation. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then you, you become a terrorist. And then all of a sudden those are the enemies. Those are people that threw you in prison. Where on the other side. You're going guys, it's been six decades. Let's move on. Let's let's. We got to do life. We can't just keep fighting each other. And it's, yeah, it's very disorienting to go. Oh my goodness! There's there's no easy solution to this.
2: Do you know any American preachers who have kind of a pro-Israel stance that you hang out with ever? Um. Well,
0: I, I, I've i got. Um.
2: I don't. Ha- I'm not
0: saying as. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. To yeah. I, I mean, I've stance. Yes, I'm connected to friends. Israel and. No, I hear what you're saying. You're, you, when you're saying pro-Israel, you're meaning the geopolitical crisis yeah, right. that you, you're siding with Israel because like tied you believe— to Israel, that kind of stuff. Yeah, tied to Israel. If, if you bless Israel, then God's going to bless you. Mm-hmm. This sort of—yeah, yeah, yeah, that stuff. Yes. Yeah. And you?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think we might have the same friend uh, mm-hmm. who is a genuinely super good, godly human being, and uh, when I hear him talk about it, I'm— um, you know, almost you have persuaded me because they, they do have – specifically Romans 9 through 11 has some stuff that you find like, well, that that seems to say kind of what you're saying. And these are people – you know, I'm thinking of one guy who has his MDiv from ACU. Um, he is yeah. a, a really sharp guy. Yeah, I –
0: I don't feel like I'm overstepping to say this, but I didn't understand, I have never heard any of this until I started going to Beltway when I was in Abilene. Yeah. When I was an undergrad student and they brought in people to talk about it, it was a big deal. I had never put any of this, together. it just wasn't in you know my religious dialect to think that there is some modern day equivalent to the the Jewish story having connection to what's going on in scripture. Like I just, I, I didn't have anything to do with that.
2: So when I was talking with my friend years ago, I would you know tell him my wife's, stepdad is muslim and mm-hmm. um the thing that we we found helpful to just kind of talk it through because as y'all said theology has consequences mm-hmm. um was if you start from the same if you start by saying a palestinian baby is worth as much as an israeli baby their life is worth as much as an israeli baby mm-hmm. um then you it seems like you can have a different kind of conversation does that make sense
0: yep yeah definitely um Anyway,
2: that that's and, and I think,
0: but, but I think that's the foundation of the view of humanity based on the Jewish text. The reason you don't murder someone is because they also are made in the image of God. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's got to start with that.
2: Yeah. Man, there's no easy answers to this, because what do you do after the worst thing that's ever happened to a whole group of people happens? And then at the same time, you're watching things like uh, you know, the synagogue have— Thirteen people murdered here in the states, and it feels it does feel disingenuous to say to Israeli people, "You guys are gonna be fine." Stop being so, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, what what do you do there? Because yeah,
0: yeah. I I mean, it's amazing that you have a group of people that before the Holocaust was roughly twelve million people. After the Holocaust, I don't know what the number is uh, now—six, seven, eight million people—and you have a group of people that have stayed connected, and you have this nation that has survived for thousands of years, there's clearly something unique about this group of people that you don't—I don't think there's another equivalence to this. Do you?
2: No. uh, Listen, uh, we—so I read in the New York Times, I think this is where I got it, that the reason the Jews have been so effective and successful in every every different kind of arena of society they've been into, and the reason— why, after those kind of heinous things happen to them, they can repeatedly stay together. Is uh, and I think this is super helpful for Christian discipleship, especially in um, our parents and students. Um, we give them the gift; our Jews to have the gift of not having to invent their own identity. Yeah. We think it's a we think that you know it's a struggle you fight for. You want to be your own person, be, but they already know who they are. And then they take that out. You know what I mean? Like, yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so they they're, they spend their struggle to create, to make things. And they also have a theology of creation that invites them to partner with it. Anyway.
0: But even secular Jews s- still have this cohesion that's that's some, somehow intertwined.
2: So you're right. A lot of, you know, a lot of... Uh, even secular Jews, though, if they were they might still keep kosher or they might uh, Hmm. keep Shabbat. And, you know, there's, there's something about, it's, it's really hard. Have you noticed it's hard to distinguish an ethnic Jew and religious Jew. I mean, it's so tied together to who they are.
0: Yeah, I feel like I'm kind of out of my pay grade to, to speak much into that, but I did notice like there is a drastic difference in the city of Tel Aviv versus Jerusalem. Hmm. If, if you're in Jerusalem, it is the city that's cloaked in uh, religion, oh, and yeah. it's it's just it's it's in everything. Whereas you go to Tel Aviv, and you're like, well, this is just like you, you could be in Greece for all you know. Like it's a yeah, yeah, it, it's a beach city, and that I mean, it's a tourist attraction, and it they, looks have like they
2: moved the embassy already to Jerusalem.
0: Yeah, it it had just happened, and we stayed in a hostel the first night, uh, which is another story for another time. And it was right next to where the old embassy was and the American embassy. And the the point of this is that Trump moves it into Jerusalem, which is a big political deal. And we are right next to it. We get there and it's midnight or one o'clock in the morning. And I wanted to get something to eat because it was lunchtime for us. And so we get we're walking and no one's out there except a couple like there's two security guards are just standing in front of the building. And I think they were American. I want to. I, I, for some reason, I think they were American. But one of them just like stared at me as I walked by, and I was like, y- "You're the same size as me, but I am utterly terrified of you. <laughs> I feel like you're going to rip my soul out of my eyeballs right now." <laughs> um, but yeah, it was right there, and I can't imagine. You the think kind of he stuff.
2: was like had ill will towards you because you're American, or what?
0: No, I, like I assume he might have been American, even. But I, I felt like this guy's just not joking around. I, I think he's seen so many things, uh-huh. and the type of things that you can um, go through that cause you to be like that um, are not in my everyday life. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. I, I don't think he was being rude or trying yeah, sure, to sure. mean mug me or anything like that. I just think that's how you view the world if that's what your job is.
2: Yeah, how how, how would you like that job?
0: No, I'm, I'm not signing up for that. I'll take
2: the angry emails over that, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: so you your father-in-law is Palestinian Muslim
2: Yeah, yeah Muslim Palestinian guy yeah Muslim um, is
0: there is that the right order to say that am I saying I'm out of order I, I don't know okay um and obviously you're
2: sham his name is he sham and that's I don't normally refer to he sham as Palestinian
0: Muslim just well I'm just saying I, I, I'm trying to get to the story here okay if you let oh, me I, I'm oh, finish excuse your- me I'm sorry I'm asking, how does that change your perspective, even when you're preaching on uh, Jew-Gentile relationships, or more specifically, as you're trying to process the way that some people read this Jew-first sort of uh, theology, Zionist theology?
2: Um, you know, I I don't ever get close to speaking about the nation, nation of Israel as a modern state. Mm-hmm. I mean, the you know, maybe I should because theology has consequences, I guess. The absence of speaking into it creates a kind of vacuum.
1: Mm-hmm. That,
2: but I, you know, I, I I say almost those Romans nine through eleven things are persuasive. But I I, I feel like a lot of what we've done is we've politicized mm-hmm. um, uh, verses that do say, seem to say what they're saying outside of the context of the rest of what Scripture is saying, especially what Paul is ultimately saying in Romans. I think, which is uh, Jews and Gentiles are all on the same playing field. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's all.
0: I, yeah. I've never sensed the need to say I, I don't think that if you take care of Jewish people, then they're going to help you. Like that, God is going to give you a special favor. I, I've never felt, felt like I needed to say America isn't blessed because we help Jewish people. Like that's not even. But that is
2: seems a like, theology,
0: right? Like America yeah, it is. It seems because, like anachronistic. Like that's the time. The times yeah, don't yeah. even match up. If, if that was the case, how come? England, when they started the Balfour Declaration, when they started this whole movement to get, like, the Zionist movement, how come they all kind of, like, their finances went terrible, they got bankrupt uh, after the war, and they kind of had to give up? Like, it, the theology doesn't make sense to me, even if— Huh, I've never heard that.
2: That's interesting.
0: No, I don't think anyone else has ever said that, so hopefully it's actually true. But <laughs> But if you think of often the way that we think about this is— this is a, a genie in a bottle. Like if we take care of the Jewish people, then God's going to take care of us. God has blessed America because we've been faithfully supporting the Jewish people. Except it didn't work with England. Like it, it obviously didn't work out hmm. in the same way. Um, I think we help the Jewish people because we see the image of God in every person, not because we expect this to be a way for us to get blessings. But I've never felt like I've needed to preach that in a sermon before, and maybe I need to do to do that yeah. since John Hagee is right next door to us down in San Antonio. And my tour guide at Yad Vashem was like, do you know John Hagee? He's, he's in San Antonio. I saw him once, I gave him a hug because he sends so much money to us. I'm huh. like, well, I didn't know Okay,
2: here's a question. Where does that money go? Does it go to the actual government of Israel?
0: I'm 52% certain that this is correct, that it actually helps with the Zionist settlements. So you have Jewish people in Palestinian territories that are establishing new developments because they think this is like entitled to them by God, huh. and the money that comes over from some of these evangelical groups is used to help perpetuate some of these settlements.
2: So one of the things y'all talked about uh, in that podcast, Todd—is that his name?
0: Hmm. Um, he's know, from Arkansas. You probably I know, know, him. right?
2: What, what was the senator? Did he ever say what senator he was working with?
0: Oh yeah, it's that one.
2: That's that. Thought- the Arkansas one. Okay.
0: Um, Sorry, you know, it's not Beto, so you're going to be disappointed.
2: <laughs> I'm sure somebody else can have a fast food logo. Um, he, one of the things he said what was, and at first he kind of glossed over it, and then uh, Jason said, let's stop and talk about that, the thing about um, how it, it, it appeared to him he was going to have to make a choice between his politics and his faith, and prioritize one over the other and um so he he did that and he acted like that was a very casual thing and then jason pointed out that survey about how when faith and politics are at odds with each other the overwhelming percentage of the time people uh choose their politics mm-hmm. um I, I found i think that was kind of the linchpin of this whole conversation um <clears throat> because i think people righteous mind this thing you know yep. I think they they want to have certain conclusions and then you know come to the theology and and try to help it get there because they've already made some commitments that maybe yep. just getting that out on the table would help
0: yeah i I think that's one of the things that we see is like the Zionist movement started as England wanted to set up an outpost. It was a very secular initiation that that's kind of universally known. Now the theology comes in, in the six day war where the Jewish people say, this is obviously an act of God. If, if we were able to fight off all these different countries. And so then it became like this God ordained thing. Huh. That seems to be the narrative that that is somewhat widely accepted. But in the beginning, it, there was no theological impulse to this. It was a very practical political move by England, but afterwards God gets thrown into it. Now, I feel like sometimes we get the cart before the horse and we want to say, oh, this is a God thing, but no, no, we're going to add God to it later. in the same way that the the religious right, we've talked about this. There's quotes from Ed Dobson who uh, was one of the founders of the religious right. He said there, and there are quotes of him saying this, that the religious right had nothing to do with abortion when it was first started. There are plenty of receipts on that, on that, that purchase right there. That, it wasn't until afterwards that abortion became a, a central issue for the religious right.
2: Mm-hmm. I, well, it was about power.
0: Well, I'll let someone research that before I answer it without fully knowing exactly what the right answer to that question and is. And Ed
2: Dobson but, kind of repented towards the end of his life, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <clears throat> yeah. And, um, who is pro throw has got a book that he, he references a lot of this stuff. We did a podcast with him probably two years ago. If you want more, uh, more information on that, but, like, I'm, I'm fine if you want to start a movement and you want to fight for abortion. I, fight against abortion because you think <laughs> it's the right thing to do. I, like, I get that. But let's, put, let's at least be honest about the order of what we're doing here. Let, yeah. Let's say the truth because what often happens is that, that God gets adulterated because God becomes just this sticker that we put on what we want to do anyway and just blame it on God. Yeah. And then all of a sudden God becomes like this toy that we just kind of toss around whenever we need it.
2: Man, somebody should write a book about our expectations of God and how Mm. God doesn't do. I think I will. I think I'll write a book about that.
0: What would you you want to talk about in the book?
2: God over great? Mm.
0: (laughs) 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 It'll be great. (laughs) You could do uh, the almighty above awesome. That could be another (laughs) title you could go with uh
2: what did you think mine was too derivative is that why
0: no i was just trying to keep it alliterative that i wanted <laughs> yeah <laughs> derivative alliterative you like that
2: okay so let's say you're king of the world god forbid but let's god, say you're king of the world i would For, love that what would you do i mean do you have any, well uh in israel in the Middle oh, East? oh
0: okay i was like well, where do i even start like i would <laughs> love to <laughs> yeah i know i think i would have some great ideas if i was king <laughs> yeah
2: Would I be immediately jailed?
0: Of course. I think we'd do black V-necks, like worldwide uniform, (laughs) Monday through Friday, just like I do. You have to wear a black V. Monday through Thursday.
2: until the Hunger Games
0: start? Oh, I mean, I'd give that at least six months. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great idea, too. Okay, if I was king, um, that would be why I wouldn't want to be king, because I would hate to have the weight of solving this crisis, because I don't know how you... It's like... How do you get a spaghetti noodle out of a bundle of spaghetti without getting sauce on it? Like it's just it, it's all like tied up. This yeah. it's like it's like your old iPhone headphones that you put them in your pocket, and somehow it comes out as the most durable knot in the world. Like there's no way you can untangle. It. <laughs> in in some ways, I think you look at this crisis that's been going on. Let's just call it six decades. Yeah, though it's definitely longer than that. Uh, and go how do how do you tell the Jewish people we want to recognize your need to be an autonomous state where you can protect yourself and have this local place that this is who we are. And how do you respect the Palestinian peoples whose identity has been tied to that land as well, and they've been there for thousands of years, and they deserve the right to have have their freedom too. Yeah. I don't know what you do. I don't know how— The two-nation like
2: t- state, did y'all talk about that at all?
0: Yeah, like the two-state solution of like this is Palestinian, this is Israeli— yeah. The problem is at this point you have these settlements that are going up all over the place that are, are thwarting that endeavor's likelihood of success because, y- you literally have people who are encroaching on territory that's they're not supposed to be in. I've been in one of those, and then you go, you have a nice home here. It's was like that the summer. guy who
2: said sweet revenge.
0: Um,
2: was that a settlement?
0: No, that guy said that he was in. Um, he was, no, where he was supposed to be. Yeah, he was in the the correctly designated territory in Jerusalem. But there's another guy who talked to who stood on a mountaintop and I mean, he expressed a similar uh, sentiment. And
2: what, did, just, did they get like the settlements being problematic or like that they're they're not just getting but, something; they're also taking something.
0: But they see this as God God ordained. If if God said you could do this, it doesn't matter what any nation says. And, and, and we see good examples of this, like we, we see people who said, you know the, the law says that slavery is right, but we're going to fight against that because it's the right thing to do and history has proven that to be indelibly like the accurate thing to do like you, you can't erase the truthfulness in what that was, and so you you put it in the context of that or you put it in the context of something else that is the antithesis of that mm-hmm. that, that that's the problem when when God becomes a trump card that says God's on our side, so we don't have to enter into the dialogue and we don't have to discern together.
2: Yeah. Yeah. uh, uh, So this guy is, is the goal of Telos to try to get Americans or Western people to go over there and kind of realize the stuff they're contributing to, or is it to help uh, on, on the ground engage dialogue between Palestinians and Israelis?
0: I think it's to create dialogue so people in the States, obviously there are people who are not just Americans, but predominantly people in America can can learn stories and to be engaged in a way with this crisis so that they can have more informed conversations.
2: Huh. Well, like what we just did. Yep. Look so at us. That's a win, Telos.
0: Chalk it up. Success.
2: <laughs> I guess we solved it.
0: From one alumni and one Arkansanian. To another. Todd, yeah. thank you. Ar- what is the correct term for someone from Arkansas? Arkesian. Uh, Arkesian. Is
2: that right? Is Arkesian?
0: Arkesians. I'm going to stick yeah. with that. Okay, we talked to Parker Palmer, who I know that you're a big fan of. Parker I Palmer.
2: I, I can't believe you didn't know Parker Palmer before this. Yeah, I know. I've never was... heard him talk. It's just been reading books. And did, he sounds did, like a man. You know, like a man's man. I, I kind of always thought him as like an English teacher. You know, like a Robin Williams poet guy. Yeah, and he sounded more like Esau.
0: Was his voice? I don't remember his voice. I because his visual, like with the FaceTime up, it seemed like oh, this is a. He seemed like very professorial.
2: Hmm. Okay. Yeah, yeah he sounded burly. You know, <laughs> burly. Like one bird? of those <laughs> yeah. one
0: of those Canadian men?
2: Yeah. <laughs> well, they came out <laughs> honest man. When you when you live in that kind of weather, you you develop some Ugh. thick skin. I.
0: We, the, the weather dropped to like 38 degrees and the next day I went to Lowe's and bought two heaters for my garage so I didn't have to work out when it was like 45 degrees. The, I, I'm completely soft. I, I can't live like that anymore. But Parker Palmer, he probably can because he lives somewhere up north. And um, yeah, he's pretty outstanding. Um,
2: he is. He's, he, he, he's had really good, uh, he's been helpful for me on stuff with calling And, uh, you know, living your life—what's this book called? Living Your—letting Your Life Speak. Hmm. Um, And and just some of those Quaker, uh, almost folksy sayings that are actually super wise. Mm -hmm. You know, like the path unfolds
0: before you by
2: it closing behind you.
0: Yeah, he's got what—there is that of God in every person.
2: That's good. There is that of God in every person.
0: Yeah, that that's all Quaker stuff. There there is a poetry to his work. Yeah, that's right. That that is very compelling to me.
2: I found I found out about him through Rob Bell. Um, that makes sense. Like first early days of Mars mm-hmm. um, He would quote him like
0: crazy. Oh, because Roar endorses the book, so I assume the Roar to Parker Palmer jump was not too hard for old Robbie. Uh, luckily, you only got one restraining order, and that was from Rob Bell, not Parker Palmer. <laughs> even though that you're a fan of both of their work,
2: that's true. That's true.
0: But uh, One of the things that I really liked about his work is that he talked about. I think the word he used was generative. That uh-huh. the more um, the more as we age, the more we become stagnant or tempted to be stagnant. And one of the ways to resist that stagnation is to be generative and turning to like the the rising generation and giving of yourself to them and it's hard to say hey can you do that for me but that's really what in in some ways a conversation like that is like he's he's passing this down passing it forward
2: yeah i i um i hope that gets a wide reading because you and i have talked about this before it is one of my great passions um the generational gap david brooks last yesterday in the new york times wrote a thing on how every institution's big crisis actually is the generation gap. So, uh, it was, it, not just institutions, but also um, movements. Yeah.
0: Did you read that? No, I, I was just—our uh, youth pastors just got back from a um, trip, uh, youth conference, and they were saying that churches—across uh, the board, churches are declining in America, but uh, regardless of denomination, but the churches that— are not doing that are often the churches that are most geared towards the whole community focusing on the youth and the young people.
2: That's growing young. That's we were doing that at Carapal stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And From Fuller.
0: Yeah, that's who there. She was there.
2: Dude, y'all's church should do that. Growing young, and, and it's a wholehearted endorsement for it. Okay. Um, here, the Hills did it. Highland did it. It's it's a really great way of just kind of of, of focusing in with best practices on this very big problem. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but, yeah, I mean, just to have wise people to be able to say, you know what, my life, the best way to make my life count now, the season that I'm in now, is not to hold things with a closed fist. That's but, yeah, Yeah. And um, I th- there's a... there's a,
0: Go yeah. ahead. Well, I'm just going to say that is a counterintuitive thing, that I don't want to be self-emptying, but I want to be self-serving. I don't want to, like... Care about someone else's preferences. I want to care about my own. And that, that's a difficult thing because in some ways, as you get old, you get power. And when you get power, you think, I'm finally going to get my way. But the way for health is to say, once I get this power, I'm going to give it away.
2: There's, there's, a, um, there's a season in which you have power. And then mm. when you're 70, when you hit 70, 75, 80, yeah. um, I mean, I think, <clears throat> honestly, one of the reasons that older or senior saints are so angry is because nobody's paying attention to them. You know, they, mm. they uh, Amer- America and the West and our nursing homes and our, uh, you know, we, That's true. the, and so part of, let me tell you what I've seen. <clears throat> I've seen people who, when the, they begin to the journey downward on that bell curve of power, um, that when they have been generous with their power, then <clears throat> they don't face that as much. And right now I'm thinking of Ralph Crazer at Highland, who died when he was in his upper 90s. And Ralph, when he died, people from every all five generations were around his hospital bed, hmm. um, and and they were weeping. When he came to Highland, he came to second service, and he sat with college students and um, wow. the. I mean, I, just, I I can think of dozens of stories of people like that, that they made their life. Uh, they didn't just make the younger people around their life better; they made their own life richer as they they let it go. It is counterintuitive, but it you know it, it works. Yeah. So you focus you focus on the young, not just for the young. It's you focus tough. on the young yeah. for everybody in your church to flourish.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. And there's an attitude that I, I'm doing this for them, but they can also like help me. Uh, he had this um, I think it was a Rumi quote that. Uh, be grateful for whoever comes because each has been sent as a guide from beyond where mm. you learn that I, I can learn from anyone in front of me and these younger people that I'm serving, they can also be people who are my guides and my teachers and that can help me find life. And yeah, I think he was a great example of that. I think his, his writing is very important. It's a nice time with Kara Powell's work from Fuller of how churches who really like when they live out the Christ him in the way of Jesus of self-emptying, surprisingly, they find life. It's amazing.
2: Why don't more people know about
0: Quakers? I don't know. They, I think because their oatmeal did so well, it kind of just typecasts <laughs> them. Like, it's just, yeah, oh, yeah, true. it's just the oatmeal. <laughs> like, that's all we got. <laughs> in some funny. ways, it's kind of like you. Like, all people think about is, like, riding donkeys in. They forget, like, you're, you're more than just a prop man.
2: Yeah, that's right. I'm, when, I'm a when, whole human being.
0: When are you going to do the being lowered from a ceiling like the pastor did that was all over social media this week? You've already done that, haven't you?
2: I have lowered somebody from a ceiling. So I was like, this is so passe. It's,
0: yeah, that's kind of old hat for you.
2: Yeah, that's. Ugh. I did the Garth Brooks thing way before. I've done that.
0: You know, when I was, I, I was in um, Indiana preaching... And the day before, Garth Brooks played at Notre Dame Stadium, first time they'd ever had like an outdoor concert, and it was like a special for CBS, and it snowed, and so it was an hour late, and so Garth played till like midnight, and so like the church didn't show up, and the people who were there were like asleep, all because of Garth Brooks. So
2: so he worked against the work of Jesus that He really did, yeah. It's, Uh um,
0: you know, the thunder rolls, but it's not going to be for you this time, Garth. (laughs) It's going to be against you. I don't have any other references. That's all I got.
2: Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Uh,
0: well, for that, I am grateful that uh, I did have that one reference. I
2: see a segueing, so let me go ahead and get out ahead of this. You have so much chutzpah to not just do your own <laughs> podcast, but to so say, I'm going to play some of my sermon in this podcast of me talking, in case you haven't got enough of me. I'm going to also play another thing of me talking um, and then yeah. come back to me to, to kind of.
0: I was going to come back and about... guys, wasn't that great? That was a really good <laughs> point he said. And let me double down on what that guy was saying. What if I next time I do that, I like voice, like I, I mask the voice, and so I can't, you can't tell who it is. Like I heard a preacher once say this, and yeah, that was that was really good. Yeah, you so thanks for the encouragement.
2: Oh yeah, mystery science three thousand. It mm-hmm. oh, that's good right there. <laughs> <laughs> Just.
0: Yeah, that's okay. powerful. That is, that's nice. <laughs> well, on that note, Jonathan, I am grateful for you. You've been a good assistant to have on the podcast.
2: Oh, God. I can't believe it. I've gotten so many people comment to me uh, about being called your assistant. Really? Yeah. Oh, that makes me but, so happy. Yeah, <laughs> I know it does. It makes me so happy. Uh, I don't even know how to respond. Yeah.
0: What, what I'm, do you I'm say? Not
2: that, I'm, I'm not his assistant.
0: Has anyone asked you to sign the book? I mean, because in some ways, you were the assistant to the author. <laughs> oh, I'd sign it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right, Jonathan. Well, it's great having you on. Yeah, you good, too, man. Good talk. Good talk. It
2: is. What's coming up in December?
0: Um, I've got one with, um, you know, Jefferson Bethke, the... Yeah. Remember
2: like the, the, a, the, yeah, yeah. What religion. do you remember
0: of him? What do you remember of him?
2: The um that slam uh sp- the spoken word thing about relig- Jesus is greater than religion.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I think he's done some other stuff, but we've been Twitter friends for a while and I just thought hey, when you do the podcast, I'm going to have him on. Uh, I've got Dude, um,
2: you should bring up the David Brooks article about him and tradition. Cuz David Brooks uh, in the New York Times Talks about the value of tradition and what and the struggle millennials have is that they don't they don't appreciate tradition enough to realize that tradition can actually bring Help. about hmm. the a counter tradition is the only way to stand in the face of changing any tradition. Hmm. So okay. he points out Jefferson as an anecdote and says he folded when religious people came out and said no. You know, he said no. This is in your from the prophets on. What you're doing is,
0: you know, you yeah. can say.
2: I stand on the side of the very tradition that you're trying to defend.
0: Yeah, I, the majority of stuff I heard about him was that sort of critique of his work, and I think there's going to be some angle of, yeah, you're 24 when you did this. Like, I oh, hope, yeah, I yeah. wish my stuff when I'm 24 is burnt and forgotten, which most of it has been, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, um, no, no concerns there. Right? No, no problem there. But as we get him, I've Felina uh, Hewerts. Has a book on contemplation. I've got a podcast with... Have you ever heard of a band called 10th uh, Ave- Avenue North? No? Guess not. Wait. Uh, co-
2: uh, oh, uh, the band? The band, you yeah. You said a man.
0: A band. The band. Anyone?
2: Somebody must have really liked that band.
0: No. there's, a, there's To name a, their
2: child 10th okay, Avenue North. Okay.
0: Okay, fine. If you don't hear the rest of them, that's fine. You don't have to. That's okay. I'm
2: sorry. Go ahead.
0: So we've got a, we, we got a handful. I'm not sure which one's going to get in December, which we're going to bump to January. But... um.
2: Fleming uh, Fleming Rutledge is a, a book out. Does Advent? she? Yeah, it just came out. You know, yeah. did you read her Crucifixion book?
0: Honestly, I haven't. But
2: Oh, listen. Okay. Drop everything. Read it. It's amazing. It's Rutledge the best book is, I read in 2016. She's got an Advent book? Yeah, and um, I am super impressed with Fleming Rutledge. Kevin. Everything I read, and I'm halfway through this book, um, everything I read of hers is... It's good? Is, yeah, it's really good.
0: Okay. All right, Fleming and Relish. I'll put it down. Uh, all right, man. Johnny, good talking with you.
2: Yeah. Um, for Christmas, do you want me to just get you, like, three copies of the, your own book and yeah. send them to you?
0: Yeah, I mean, what else would you do? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, right, that's, that's what I'm going to do for you, but I mean, I'm mean, i going to charge you for them. But I'll sign them for free.
2: <laughs> so I need to give you my credit card number?
0: Yeah, yeah, but I'll okay. sign them for free, for free. Thanks. You're Doesn't welcome. that devalue them? Why would you say that? That's just mean. <laughs> Thanks Always for checking right, out right. with All right, Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You are now adjourned.